Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 99, and today we are talking about books released on March 21st, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hey. Happy first day of spring. Today we're going to party like it's episode 99. <laughs> I cannot believe that we are here at episode 99. Like, in one way, it feels like we've just been doing this forever. Yeah. But now that you say it, it's like, Huh? It's like, really? We've done a hundred of these? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it is wild. Uh, so how are you today as we celebrate episode 99? I've had a rough week. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so we had a crazy blizzard and like, I don't know, this was our first blizzard in this house, like that I've experienced mm-hmm. while we've been living in this house. And, you know, they were like, big blizzard coming and we're like yeah whatever you know we like we're not prepared at all so the blizzard came and the power went out and we didn't have flashlights but they were like oh it'll be up in two hours this was like at four o'clock in the afternoon so we're like cool whatever and then at seven o'clock it still hadn't come back on but they were like yeah just like another hour or so so we went to bed because like the heat was off and there's nothing to do and like woke up and still did not have power no all the food was bad and the fridge because we were like whatever it's you know so at least like it was sunny out again so I could see to read I was gonna say I've never slept so much in my life a real cramp (laughs) on your reading style usually we get those power outage storms in Richmond in the summer we had like four days without power this past summer but then it's day it's daylight for like a million hours a day (laughs) and I just sit around wearing my camping headlamp at night to read which is very glamorous I felt so dumb like, if I have one piece of wisdom to impart, it is get flashlights and make sure they yes. work and have batteries. We had one flashlight that didn't work, and then that was it. And But we were like, oh, yeah, well, the power's going to come back on, so it's totally fine. No, so we had no power for, like, 36 hours, and well, it was crazy and exhausting. Be, be safe out there, kids. Yeah. Uh, before we get started on our show this week, I just want to remind you all, or maybe this is new to you if you missed last week's episode, there are just a few days left to pre-order your limited edition Nolite Tebestardus Carborundorum t-shirt. That's Don't Let the Bastards Grind You Down, for those of you who love The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, they are $24. They're only available through March 24th in the Book Riot store. So we'll have a link in the show notes, or you can go to store.bookriot.com to order yours today. All right, lady. So we're going to do a little a little something different. We've been taking some questions to do Q&A for our 100th episode, but we're going to kick it off a little bit here on episode 99. So we're each going to talk about a few books, and then we're going to answer one listener question at the end. Um, and there is still time to submit listener questions for next week. So if there's something that you want to ask us that you've been wondering about our work or our lives or whatever, uh, you can ask us anything and we'll decide what to answer. Send your questions to all the books at book riot.com okay what's first okay i love this book so much oh my god 
goodness. I'm so excited. It's The Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi. I mean, he's pretty great in general. He's really He fun. is. He's a national treasure. Yeah, he is. Um, yesterday, I was typing his last name into my phone to tell someone about the book, and it changed it to Scallion. So I was like, the new John Scallion's book is awesome! <laughs> no. John Scalzi, he's so great! Um, it's called The Collapsing Empire, and it is about the collapse of the flow. Now, I couldn't quite figure out when this took place. I just knew it was after the 26th century, and from what I was guessing, it was like in the 27th century. You know, it's probably right there, and I just missed it, but it's way in the future. And let me tell you, uh, Earth is no more. And it is the, about the flow. The flow is an interdimensional field of energy that moves ships from one point to another. It's sort of like a star superhighway. There are these ports where you get off, and there's a planet there. Um, there's all kinds of uh, space travel now. There's numerous planets that have been colonized. And there's a new empire called the Interdependency. And so you sort of ride this, like, superstar highway. You know, it, it makes, like, faster-than-light travel sort of possible, which was never a thing until now. And so people travel on these. There's, like, space pirates. You know, ships are going from one place to another to trade things that some planets don't have. And the problem is that... The exits in the flow have started to close. A couple of them have disappeared, and they've been being studied carefully, and some of them are, this, are starting to close faster than others. Like, it's, it's really ramping up, and it's going to be a huge problem um, once planets are cut off and people can't get to and from them and can't get things, and your loved ones are going to be stuck in one spot, and you're going to be stuck in another, and who knows what's going to happen. Um, and it's about the three main characters are a scientist, a ship captain, and the new M, I, I don't know if it's Mprox, it's, it's E-M-P-R-O-X, that's how I've been saying it in my head, who's basically like the, she's the leader of the interdependency now. Um, they have to sort of work together to figure out how to stop it and save themselves. It's so much fun, so much fun. Um, I immediately wanted to go uh, watch like all of Star Trek The Next Generation or, you know, some other sort of like sci-fi show that's just like such an epic nerd purr. Um, and he's so, so, so funny. My favorite character in the book is a foul-mouthed owner's representative, um, which is someone who travels on a ship that belongs to, is, like, related or part of the company that owns the ship. Um, and there's one named Kiva, and she, like, makes sailors look like nursery school teachers. Um, the mouth on her, it's amazing. And she gets stuck at this planet called End, which is at the end of the flow, um, with her ex-boyfriend, who she hates, and it's fantastic. And I'm, I read probably like two or three science fiction books a month, but I still sort of consider myself a rube as far as science fiction. Um, so, like, I know hard science fiction is sort of defined by, like, when the science is supposed to be real. Um, so I'm assuming that this is hard science fiction, um, but it's so accessible and so, so much fun. So funny. I would definitely watch this, like, as a movie or a television show. I would love it. Um, again, it's The Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi. I feel that same way about science fiction, and I read less of it than you do because I read less of everything than you do. But I think <laughs> it's one of those genres that there's just – it's so deep and there is so much variety that it would – I can't imagine what I would have to do to feel like a – like a non-rube sci-fi reader or like an expert even. That would just be – that's yeah. just a ton of reading. I think you would um, have to only read science fiction. 
Right. Like forever. Yeah. Which um, sounds so good. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, the, I guess that kind of imposter syndrome feeling, uh, my next book addresses that. It's called Who Thought This Was a Good Idea? It's by Alistra, Alyssa, sorry, Master Monaco. Um, she is a former deputy chief of staff to President Obama. She began working for him in her late 20s when he was an Illinois senator, and then she stayed on uh, through the presidential campaign and into his first term as president. She primarily oversaw eventually scheduling, which is terribly complicated. And she's like a master of logistics. Uh, It just made all my dopamine fire when she started describing the sort of nuts and bolts of her job. Uh, Huge responsibility, you can imagine, for understanding uh, the president's priorities, for being basically a senior advisor, um, knowing what he is interested in, where the policy is going. Then when people request his time, she makes decisions about how the president is going to spend his time and what the schedule is going to look like. Plus handling all of the logistics for like huge overseas trips and meetings where they're taking uh, the president and a bunch of other people and the press corps uh, with just bonkers, hilarious stories to go along with that. Um, Master Monica was one of the only women to hold this position and the first woman literally to occupy her office in the White House, not to mention she's much younger than many of the people who have held that spot. So she's coming from a really interesting perspective in this memoir. Um, and it's, it is like a memoir meets light self-help kind of light motivational suggestions. Um, It's not structured chronologically. Each chapter is about basically a um, personality trait that it's good to develop if you want to do a job like this or just be a person in the world. So she talks, you know, about resilience, um, about organization, about understanding your priorities. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, great stories about facing challenges, keeping your cool in sticky situations. Uh, The title, Who Thought This Was a Good Idea, comes from the fact that Ultimately, she was the decider in a lot of moments. And if things went well, she got to take all the credit. But if they didn't go well, she's the one who had to fall on her sword and take the blame and say, I, you know, I thought it was a good idea. I was the one who made this call. And how you can live in that kind of situation in a very, you know, high demand or a high pressure job and not just lose it. Uh, also, there's a bunch of poop jokes. Uh, so that's great. It sort of lightens the mood. And she tells funny stories about she has IBS. And she talks about like when you're traveling with a bunch of people and you're going to be in situations where you're not sure like when you're going to be able to go to the bathroom, but like you have to go meet the Pope. Um, oh it's very, I know it's very real. Real talk. Um, yeah, there's a lot of real talk. She's very honest, um, self-deprecating, but maintains the confidence. You know, she she just sees what her own weaknesses are and what the points of humor in her life are. She writes about her relationship and uh, how she's not sad that she doesn't have children. She has this great career and she made a great choice and sort of resenting assumptions that people make about her life or her happiness based on that. Um, so it's a really cool insight into what having that kind of job would be like. Um, she was once on a list of like the most powerful, least famous people in Washington. Like the job is terribly important, but you're not likely to know the name of the person. Like the the person in the general public is not likely to know the name of the person holding these kinds of jobs. Uh, So 
really interesting to hear about that kind of experience. That's not like a glitz and glamour White House job. I really, really enjoyed it. It was pitched to me as Mindy Kaling goes to the White House. Uh, it's not quite as funny as Mindy Kaling, but you do get Mindy Kaling stories because Alyssa Mastermonico became friends with Mindy Kaling after she visited the White House. So that's a perk. Um, I really enjoyed it. I read this in one sitting on a train ride up to Philly last week. She was a great companion. Um, I imagine this would be wonderful on audio as well. So again, it's who thought this was a good idea by Alyssa Mastermonico. And I guess that's my turn still, because speaking of audiobooks... <laughs> I thought that was your lead, and I was like, oh, she's setting it up to knock it down. And then you didn't say anything. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not that organized today. <laughs> Our next sponsor is Volumes. It's the audiobook app from Penguin Random House Audio. This is a free app powered by Penguin Random House Audio. You can get free audiobooks and sample new content with a new and improved design. So if you are thinking about trying out audiobooks, especially going into spring as you're going to be out gardening or Liberty was, you were just telling me before the show started that you're going to start uh, taking more walks. Audiobooks are great for when you're out walking. Maybe you're planning a spring break road trip with friends or family and you need something to listen to. You can download the volumes app from the iTunes store. Now we'll have a link in the show notes and noodle around in there, sample some books, download free ones, find something great to listen to that will make you and anyone that you're traveling with happy as well. So again, that's volumes from Penguin Random House audio and you can download it from the iTunes store now. So thanks to them for sponsoring. I actually, um, after several years of saying that I was going to listen to an audiobook, I actually bought my first audiobook the other day. Um, oh. I've almost attempted to do it, but I just, I never leave the house and I never do anything. <laughs> but I have like this big car trip coming up. So I bought Lincoln in the Bardo because it has 166 narrators and it sounds amazing and I was so excited and so proud and I brought it home and I took a picture and put it on the internet and most people were like dude is is that CDs like what (laughs) I was like but I'm gonna be in the car and people were like I've never seen an audiobook on CD I'm like come on (laughs) I'm trying anyway it's gonna be my first one it's fine. That is probably going to be a great introduction. Uh, that The story of how many narrators they have on that thing is just really wild. That's really what sold me. Yeah. yeah so that'll be my first one. Cool. Well, you have to report back about how it is because we know you loved the book. Yes. Okay. And speaking what's... of Lincoln and the oh, Civil War. Hey, look uh, at that. Um, You don't get much more like wheelhouse than, than this. Uh, my next pick is Midnight in America, Darkness, Sleep, and Dreams During the Civil War by Jonathan White. I talked about this one a little bit, uh, last week that I was reading it. Um, uh, if you've listened to the show at all or follow me on Twitter, you know that the Civil War is probably my favorite subject to read about. I would say about 10% of the books that I read each year are revolve around like Civil War subjects, so... This one, I was so excited about, like, seriously, like, just immediately emailed them and was like, how do I get this book? Like, they were like, uh, yeah, (laughs) we'll get it to you, don't worry. Um, it's, it's such a specific subject, like, not only is it, like, about my favorite subject, but then there's, like, a specific subject within that subject, it's an epic nerd purr, and it's so interesting to me because so much of this information, like, basically all of the information that he has to work with comes from books and diaries. And it just made me think about, like, how few people keep a physical diary anymore. Like, you, could you look back? Like, if if something happened to the world and we lost computers and the internet and, you know, electricity, like, how would you be able to look at that period of time? Because, you know, hardly anybody writes anything down anymore, you know? It's so fascinating to me. 
And White did this exhaustive study of the time period and what people dreamed about, um, how the war had an effect on people's dreams, like how people felt like dreams were a way to feel close to the people they loved that were far away from them. Like people, you know, wives would write to husbands while they were away at the war saying, you know, I had a dream that you were in this battle or I had a dream that this happened. And, you know, it sort of was like a, a way for them to visit with the people that they loved, you know, by hearing their voices in their heads or you know, thinking about them, um, and people would just write down these dreams. Um, Julia, is it Julia Ward Howe? She wrote the Glory Hallelujah poem. She dreamed that. Like, that was a dream that she had, the Glory, Glory Hallelujah. Like, she went to bed one night, and she got up and... the Battle Hymn of the Republic? Thank you. And (laughs) she got up and was like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, here, I'm gonna write this down now. And apparently that was how she wrote all the things that she wrote. Hmm. Um, But it was after she was visiting um, Washington, that she had this idea. And it's, it's so full of crazy facts like that and interesting information. Um, even if you're not a fan of the Civil War, it's still so fascinating to read about history and, and war and how it affects people. Um, I also learned some weird things like people who would sleep in a new bed used to name the bedposts. <laughs> like, if you name the bedposts, it would help you remember your dreams when you went to sleep. What? But they didn't, like, they didn't, ex- he didn't explain, like, were they, like, like, okay, uh, Huey, Dewey, Louie, and, and Scrooge. Like, I don't know, like, how they named them, you know, or, like, you know, lefty, righty, you know, bottom, top, I don't know. But I just thought that was so strange. Like, if they had names, they would help you remember your dreams. Um, but it's full of cool stuff like that. And, you know, after reading, um, I read Collapsing Empire after I read this. And, it, and I really felt like a future person, like, thinking about, like, Midnight in America, because you think about how everything is so different now, you know? And I was like, I live in the future, even though I live in the right now. Like, I'm a future person. Um, it was so cool, though. And it's so great. And like I said, just, like, crazy amount of research. So fascinating. Again, it's called Midnight in America, Darkness, Sleep, and Dreams During the Civil War by Jonathan White. Man, I guess in the future, when they want to know what we all dreamed about, they'll have to, like, hack our text records and a bunch of Slack archive. Yeah, and assuming Twitter. that, like, we still, like, have them, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, that's so interesting to think about. That book does sound like it's, this, like, the white-hot center of your wheelhouse. We always, I used to make this joke that, like, if you want to find out who the book lovers were in a crowd, just say, like, the Alexandria Library Fire and figure out who starts weeping openly. You know, like, that's them. <laughs> That's how I feel about the future. Oh, I don't have a segue, um, but my next <laughs> my next pick is really great. It's called Our Short History by Lauren Grodstein. Uh, this is about it's a novel about a woman named Karen. She is a successful, very fancy political consultant in New York. She runs campaigns. She puts out fires. She gets her candidates over scandals. She is just incredibly competent. Uh, but now she is facing some time off and potentially the end of her career because she has ovarian cancer. Um, she's had it for a few years. She's currently in remission. But when she was diagnosed two years before the start of the book, her doctors told her that she probably had four or five years to live. And that holds despite that she's in remission because they know that it will come back at some point and it will come back worse. Um, so she is thinking, she's beginning to think about her last days. And the book is written as essentially the book that she, that Karen is writing to her six-year-old son, Jake, about her life, about their life together, all of the lessons that she hopes he will have 
as a young man. It is to be given to him when he turns 18. Uh, Jake has never met his father. Uh, Karen had him with a former partner who didn't want children and who uh, she remembers kicking her out when she told him that she was pregnant. But now that um, Karen is starting to talk to Jake about what will happen after she eventually dies, he'll be moving from New York to Seattle to live with Karen's sister and her children uh, that he's become very close with. Jake is starting to ask questions about his father and wants to meet him. Uh, And that becomes one of the central conflicts of the book um, on which a lot of stuff turns, but I don't want to give away too much. Um, For a story setup that is like a five alarm snot bomb, you know, woman is writing book, (laughs) woman with ovarian cancer writes book to her six-year-old son. Um, The book is very warm and very real. Um, I didn't cry. I was reading this on the train also and was like completely prepared to just have a total breakdown, but it didn't happen. Grodstein has done something really incredible here where she takes you right into this story and there's so much heart. Um, It's uh, we see Karen, we're with her as she's telling Jake about how she just runs the gamut of human emotions. She's processing her own eventual death. She's talking about moments in which she feels herself sort of float above the situation and just witness what Jake is like and thinking about what his life is going to be like after her. She's thinking about the residual feelings that she has for Jake's father, the anger over the ending of that relationship, but the happy times that they had together and this deep fear she has that he's going to want to come and take Jake away from his family, away from her sister and the cousins that Jake is supposed to be with after she dies. Um, There are some really tough moments. There is some really sad stuff, but it's also really, really beautiful um, and very remarkable for that. I think, you know, it's, Uh, It's one thing to write a really sad book. It's another achievement to write a book about a very sad, difficult thing and make it feel redemptive in some way. And Lauren Grodstein has really done that. I almost missed this book. I was really afraid it was going to be too sad. I am glad that I'm, that I didn't let that get to me. I'm really glad that I picked it up. Um, You would do well to read it as well. It's called Our Short History by Lauren Grodstein. I love her. She's wonderful. Yes. I haven't I haven't read all of her, but I really um enjoyed is it the the explanation for everything. Did you I think you would really like uh, Friend of the Family, which is about a guy who is not crazy about his son's girlfriend like he's Ooh. he's really interested in keeping them apart. Um but he has like no real excuse to. Okay. So it's just sort of like a little sinister and it's it's really good. I really yeah, like that. All of her one. books are so different. It's very yeah. interesting. Yes. All right. What is up next for you of our last book pick for the week? Uh, this is actually a book that came out a couple weeks ago now. Yeah, a couple weeks ago now. I think it now. came out on the 7th, right? Yeah. Like the but, big book bonanza. And I mentioned it when I was like, I read all these books, but I don't have like, that part of the show, which is pretty much every part. <laughs> um, I still can't believe you people who listen to this on 1.5, but okay, it's crazy. Um, it's The Idiot by Elif Batuman. And her name is spelled E-L-I-F-B-A-T-U-M-A-N. She's awesome. She wrote a book called The Possessed Adventures with Russian Books and the People Who Read Them, which is a really funny, smart, nonfiction book. And she's just, like, crazy smart and original. Uh, Several years ago, uh, she did a a blog piece for a blog that I had, which was called uh, Right Place, Right Time, which was about where writers do work, and people would send me photos, like, here's my desk and my view from my window, and she sent me one that was, like, taken, a picture taken under a hedge, 
And she's like, people never think to, like, work under the bushes, but there's lots of room, and nobody bothers you here. It was, like, really original and funny, and she's so great. Um, This is her first novel, and it's so fantastic. It takes place in 1995. There's a, a woman named Celine. She's the daughter of Turkish immigrants. She's going off to Harvard College. The world is new. The world of email is new. Um, she, she does some great stuff with, like, what it was like to be there when you're like, what is email? Like, what is that like? She shows up for school, and they're like, here's your email address. And they, like, hand her, you know, a computer and her cable. And she's like, what am I supposed to do with this cable? They're like, you plug it in. You know, like, it's just, it's fun to think about, like, what it was like before you know, going back to, like, that midnight in America, like, what it was before, what it was like before all this when we lived in the future, no. Um, but the whole, the whole thing is new to her. She has new experiences at college, like, good and bad. Like, she's, uh, she, what's the word of the word? Oh, yeah, auditions. She auditions for the school orchestra, and she doesn't get in, and then it turns out, like, everybody at Harvard plays violin, and she's not even, like, close to, to the top of the class, and then there's classes that she wants to take that she can't get and, you know, she has to, she has to learn that she's, like, a little fish in a big pond. And they keep telling them that, that that's, like, a, a thing to be excited about and to, like, drive them. But she finds that, like, mm. being told she's a little fish in a big pond all the time is really sort of sad and, and brings her down. Um, but while she's at school, she makes a friend named Ivan, and they become very good email friends. And they have this sort of email relationship. Uh, and when Ivan goes to Budapest for the summer, she sort of follows, and she gets a, a job teaching English to students on the coast and then she goes to Paris with her friend uh, Svetlana, who's a Serbian classmate who takes Russian with her. And she, like, travels, and she discovers, like, in her travels that she's sort of, like, more, she thinks more, like, doomed to be a writer, but she, like, wants to be a writer, and this is something that she wants to do. And the novel is just, like, this rich, emotional, intellectual story, sort of about, like, when you're leaving your childhood behind... You know, learning about the world for yourself, making your own decisions now. Um, it's about first love. It's about traveling and, and seeing the world. It's extremely drawl and funny and wonderful. And so that's why I wanted to mention it again, because it's so great. And again, it is called The Idiot by Elif Batuman. All right. That is our book picks for the week. My last segment, I'm going to do uh, an RIP moment for Derek Walcott. He's a former Nobel laureate, a poet from the Caribbean. He died last week at the age of 87. Um, his poetry was some of the first poetry that I found my way into in college. I remember reading him and it was like that one of those first moments of like, oh, poetry can be accessible. Um, sort of the feeling that the Mary Oliver poems have given me recently is I've been talking about that on the show. Um, he also, I mean, he's, his work is really remarkable. Um, Omaros is a retelling of Homer, but set in the Caribbean with like taxi drivers and local merchants instead of the sailors and the Homeric characters. Um, I have not read that one, but have read that it's very remarkable. He lived quite a life. Um, and his, as I've said, his poems have really meant a lot to me. Recently, I rediscovered him when a yoga teacher was reading some of his work during a meditation segment. And I was like, oh, right, Eric Walcott, yes. So I've been revisiting him lately. Um, and then when he passed away last week, I read his obituary in the New York Times and was dismayed uh, that there was information included there about sexual assault that he was found guilty of in the 1980s. Um, and that, you know, we continue to talk about him as this great poet, which of course his work remains what his work is, but I really have sat with and am still sitting with that icky place that we find ourselves in sometimes of where is the line between, um, 
really loving someone's work or finding their personal behavior to be so reprehensible that we separate ourselves from that work. And I don't have an answer here yet. Um, I don't think that there is one right answer. We've talked about how all of our faves are problematic on this show before, and I'm sure that we'll talk about it again. And this is a, a next level, you know? It's not like he just made some problematic statements. This is not good news to have about a man. Um, it's certainly evidence that being accused or even found guilty of uh, sexual assault is not a nail in the coffin for a man's career. I'm really, really sad. Um to have lost him and then to have lost him and found this out. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do about Derek Walcott's legacy in my mind, um, but I wanted to talk about it. And if you are a listener and you're like wrestling with that same thing about him or another writer whose work that you've loved, um, feel free to shoot us an email and we can talk about this together and, and figure it out. I really I don't know if I, like, I was like, should I mention it on the podcast? Should I not? Is it wrong to endorse this work that has meant so much to me? I, I don't know. So listeners, I'm sitting with it. Um, but I do want to read you one of his poems that has really meant a lot to me. It's called Love After Love. The time will come when with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes, peel your own image from the mirror, sit, feast on your life. Beautiful, right? So just... I'm very sad about Derek Walcott for many reasons, uh, and I wanted to talk about that today. So that is my, these are my Derek Walcott feelings. <laughs> and I know. Uh, okay. So Let's I know you, were, you really wanted to get that out because you jumped the ad. So I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor now. Oh, thank you for taking care of me. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> our next sponsor is... Carval, the fabulously highly anticipated and now everywhere to be found YA novel. Um, pretty much the most beautiful cover of the year. And it's been out, I think, like two months now. It came out at the end of January. And everybody just talks about it, talks about it. It's so much fun. Um, I will tell you a little bit about what it's about now. Uh, it says, Scarlet has never left the tiny island where she and her beloved sister, Tella, lived with her powerful and cruel father. Now Scarlet's father has arranged a marriage for her, and Scarlet thinks her dreams of seeing Caraval, the faraway once-a-year performance where the audience participates in the show, are over. But this year, Scarlet's long-dreamt of invitation... Oh, I can't talk... Scarlet's long-dreamt-of invitation finally arrives. <laughs> with the help of a mysterious sailor, Tella whisks Scarlet away to the show. Only, as soon as they arrive, Tella is kidnapped by Caraval's mastermind organizer, Legend. It turns out that this season's Caraval revolves around Tella, and whoever finds her first is the winner. Scarlet has been told that everything that happens during Caraval is only an elaborate performance, but she nevertheless becomes enmeshed in a game of love, heartbreak, and magic with the other players in the game. And whether Caraval is real or not, she must find Tella before the five nights of the game are over. A dangerous domino effect of consequences is set off, and her sister disappears forever. It's fun and magical and enchanting. And all those fabulous adjectives that you would say about great books. 
Um, and you can learn about it uh, at Twitter under Flatiron Books account, or you can check out Instagram for Flatiron Books. I've never seen so many co- pictures of a book cover, I think, as I have I know, of this really one. It really is all over the Everywhere. Place. Um, so again, it's Caraval, and we thank them for sponsoring. Okay. Now let's roll into the Q&A section. And again, if you have a question for us for next week for our 100th episode, you can shoot us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, this question is from Sierra, and she wants to know what we did to get this as a career. She said she was raised in a strict math or science is the only viable career path type home, so it never occurred to her that someone might pay her to read books or just send books in exchange for her opinion. Uh, she says, we're living the dream. I do not dispute that, Sierra. She just wants to know, was this a goal you went to college to pursue or something you landed in through circumstances? And then she wishes us happy reading. So thank you for that, Sierra. Um, okay, Lib, what do you think? Uh, it, I, I, yeah, this is hard. People ask us this all the time, like, how do I get to be you? Um, my first answer is always a lobotomy and a pair of tights because I am forever <laughs> the Breakfast Club fan. Um, but I don't know. All I, I mean, I used to work retail. I worked retail for many, many, many years, decades, um, and would cram in as much reading as I possibly could around those jobs. And it just sort of paid off. You know, I, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't go to school. Um, I just liked to read. And it, it just, you know, I, I think I got lucky. You know, I was in the right place at the right time, like when Book Riot started and, um, you know, I, it, I didn't go unnoticed on Twitter, you know, reading hundreds of books a year. <laughs> so that was helpful. And I just feel incredibly lucky. Yeah, it's, I, I did not go to school for this either. I majored in psychology. I minored in English, but even that did not prepare me for this career at all. And this career did not exist as an option when I entered college all the way back in 2001. Um, like, I don't know what you would have majored in to try to set yourself up for a job like this. Um, now it might be something like, I don't know, like digital media and communications. Like those are kind of the core skill sets. Um, if you forget that it's specifically books related, what we do. Um, but my career is like, this job is 100% like accidental. Uh, I had a book blog and so I knew Jeff O'Neill, one of the co-founders online through his book blog and came on as the social media manager when book riot launched part-time. And then as the site grew and the needs grew, I, my job grew as well. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know. I always tell people like, there's not really a way to get this career. Um, you could be more intentional about wanting to write online or wanting to review books or to have a bookish career. Um, there are great back episodes of the Dear Book Nerd podcast where uh, Rita Mead talked about a bunch of different kinds of book-related careers that you could have. But I also always feel compelled to like clarify that we're not getting paid to read the books. Like I don't read during my working time. Um, I'm getting paid to do a bunch of other things around books. But uh, it's the, the idea of like getting paid to read specifically. It, that, that's a job that I don't think super exists unless really you're talking about being an agent, but then you're not getting paid to read. You're just reading a bunch of things in hopes that you'll find something that you can publish and make a lot of money off of eventually. Um, yeah, we're so reading a lot and using that yeah. in our jobs. Yeah, and I would say even um, 
I don't think that a degree is essential or needed at all for the kinds of work that we do. Like you need to have read a lot of books. Um, you need to pay a lot of attention to publishing and understanding of the industry is useful. You need to be a good critical thinker and ask good questions about things. Like I, I sort of sit on the running the business side of the company more now than anything else. And, um, my, I have a, you know, liberal arts education that taught me how to think about things and that serves me better than any of the specific information I learned in any of the classes. Um, so I would endorse, you know, sort of knowing a little bit about a lot of things makes you good at this kind of work, being curious. And like Liberty said, like, it ha you have to have a measure of luck to be in the right place at the right time. But I felt like I took, I said yes to the right risks at the right time. Um, and I was able to, you know, like try out this thing when Book Riot was launching and give it a go. Um, so it's never the answer I feel like people want. Right. <laughs> um, but that's the answer that is the truth. If I had to um, say one thing, I would say enthusiasm. Like enthusiasm being like really vocal about what you love and enthusiastic, it never hurts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is like, you were being very humble when you were giving your answer, but that is like when you, when we first met each other, which was through Twitter, um, everyone knew you as the woman who read a million books and could talk about all of them, you know, very passionately and articulately. And that you like, I'm sure that people ask you all the time, like, yeah, but do you remember everything that you read? And the answer <laughs> is like, yes, you, you do. But you um, made a name for yourself with that passion for books and made yourself memorable and people came calling and um, developing those sort of developing online relationships as well as contacts like face-to-face -face in the world of publishing can be useful. But there are so many ways you can have a job that is adjacent to books or to reading in some way. Um, but we couldn't have, we could not have imagined this. Neither of us, we're both too old <laughs> to have imagined this as our <laughs> dream jobs when we were like 18 or 20 or even 25. I, I, was, I was almost 30 when Book Riot launched. Um, which makes me old in internet years. And it's, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was 35. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but maybe we are the old dogs that can learn new tricks. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the answer that no one ever wants to this question. But, um, even if somebody, like if we had a job opening today and people were like, how do I get it? I'd be like, well, you just have to like love books and have the right yes. things we're looking for at that particular moment. <laughs> Um, so it's a really good question, Sierra. We get it every time we do a Q&A, and I think it's always worth answering um, to talk about what these jobs really are and what they aren't and how you get there. Um, so thank you for sending it in. Hope that that was useful and not too disappointing. <laughs> so. A magic elf came to our house and said, boy, do I have the job for you. <laughs> I mean, I think it's liberating that like, I I only know one person in my whole like extended network of people, of friends and family who's actually working in the field they got a degree in. So I think it should be liberating that you don't have to have a degree in a certain field and you don't even have to have a degree um, to do this kind of work. Um, it's not essential at all. Um, so yeah, that's our show. Those are new releases and other stuff and the kickoff of our 100th episode Q&A. More of that next week. Thanks to our sponsors, Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to get started with your 30-day trial of a bra from their 24-7 collection today. Um, go to store.bookriot.com to pre-order your Nolite Bastardes Carbor and Durham t-shirt. 
Download the Volumes app from Penguin Random House Audio in the iTunes store and check out Caraval. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. You can find it and its beautiful cover wherever books are sold. As I've said, if you want to drop us a line or send us a question for next week, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com. Talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you want to send us a little confetti for our 100th episode, we would love a rating or review on iTunes. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter and shout out to Kyle who threw in the cash register noise last time <laughs> that, that made amazing. me giggle you, for a minute um, and yeah so this is our last episode in the double digits so Rebecca we're going to be 100 next time it's so exciting it is I got the gray hairs to prove it <laughs> <laughs> alright in the meantime happy, happy reading, reading.